Hello, I'm Conor Pope, and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, how have the Taliban taken control of Afghanistan so quickly, and why are many of its people so scared? A conflict that lasted two decades came to a sudden and shocking end in just two days. That's how long it took for the Taliban to retake the Afghan capital of Kabul and seize complete control of the state. The Taliban declared the war in Afghanistan was over on Monday. As the Taliban took control of the city, the scenes at Kabul airport were shocking. Thousands of people desperately tried to flee, some so desperate that they clung to the wings of US military planes as they taxied down the runway. Moments later, as it gains altitude, it appears that two people fall to the ground. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation-building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been, preventing a terrorist attack on American homeland. Many Afghans are terrified that the return of the Taliban after an absence of almost 20 years will mean a return to the brutal practices of the past. I can't believe the world abandoned Afghanistan. (laughs) Our friends are going to get killed. They're going to kill us. Our women are not going to have any more rights. Between 1996 and 2001, the Taliban ruled Afghanistan with authoritarian terror. Public stonings, public whippings and public hangings were commonplace. Women were not allowed to work or even to be educated beyond the most basic level. Many thought the Taliban would be confined to the grimmest pages of the history books after the US invaded following the 9-11 attacks. Now they are back. In jeeps and on motorbikes, they're sweeping across Afghanistan like a deadly swarm, moving faster and further than predicted, taking advantage of the disarray left behind by the Americans and other NATO forces. But how did this happen? And what does the return of the Taliban mean for the people of Afghanistan, for the region and for the rest of the world? Frank Ledwidge is an author and a barrister and a former soldier who served in Afghanistan. His books include Losing Small Wars, British Military Failure in Iraq and Afghanistan and Investment in Blood, The True Cost of Britain's Afghan War. The fall of Kabul to the Taliban and the complete collapse of the National Army of Afghanistan appears to have taken the administrations in the West by surprise. Was it surprising? The answer is yes, in the context of the speed with which it took place. Uh, That's slightly different. Uh, Ernest Hemingway said that bankruptcy starts slowly and then ends very quickly. And that's certainly the case here. But this is a culmination of 20 years of misjudgment and corruption on all sides, really. And that raises the second party question concerning the collapse of the the army. Uh, Now, the idea collapsed, but it wasn't militarily defeated. It was highly unlikely ever to be militarily defeated. If you factor in will and the motivation to fight, it had great kit. It had excellent training by regional standards, and it had a lot of people, 225,000 
in the last week, there have been very few casualties. And that's because I think that there was a trigger point in Herat, which is in the west of the country. That was a, considered for a long time a very anti-Taliban place. The Italians held it for a long time and with very little trouble. So what happened was one of the warlords called Ismail Khan just turned. I think he saw the way the wind was going. He's a very astute and wily character. It's been going for 30 or 40 years now. So he turned and uh, did a deal. And I think once that happened, then there was a sort of domino effect and deals were done in almost every province. There were very, very few battles and very few casualties. And I think that was surprising in the tactical sense and the immediate sense. But in the strategic sense, we shouldn't be that surprised because that's how Afghan warfare traditionally takes place, through negotiation between interest groups. Is this an abject defeat of America, the UK and their coalition partners, in your view? Yes, I think this is defining for the first part of the 21st century and perhaps even longer than that. Afghanistan was the main effort of the NATO alliance for the last 20 years. This was a NATO mission, predominantly 90%, not more than 90%, but 90% American. It is total defeat. There is nothing good that remains out of this, save for a rather larger middle class. Let's hope that they continue to prosper. So the answer is, yeah, it's total and complete defeat. It's complete defeat at the national level, but also more importantly, I think, for the longer term, at the geopolitical level. If you look at where Afghanistan is, it's surrounded by Pakistan, which are the sponsors of the Taliban, who will now, I think, themselves feel empowered enough perhaps to resist Pakistani wiles, but we'll see. China is to the northeast, Russia and its clients to the north, Iran to the west. And Afghanistan, we will now see, uh, will fall into their laps. That's extremely significant at the expense of the domination of the United States in the region. So it's a geopolitical defeat. In six months with our coalition partners, the Taliban has been driven from power. We've disrupted al-Qaeda's ability to use Afghanistan as a sanctuary and as a training ground for terrorists they sent around the world. The Afghan people have been freed of a brutal regime and a humanitarian crisis of significant proportions has been averted. How did it happen? I mean, I think a lot of people will be wondering, how is it possible that the Taliban could have emerged as the victors from this conflict when they appear to have been absolutely routed almost 20 years ago? And they've been, generally speaking, defeated on the battlefield ever since. But this points up one reality of warfare that people like me have been trying to highlight for the last 10 years or so when it became apparent to me and many others that this was a lost campaign and that it should be ended on the best terms possible whilst there's a chance of doing so. So the Taliban are excellent political actors. They have the support of a significant proportion, but not the majority of the Pashtun people. They are considered in many rural villages of the province I know best, which is Helmand, and probably the most or one of the most pro-Taliban areas. They would be considered as our boys, right? Uh, in much the same way as the IRA was in the in the in the Tan War. Mm. It didn't necessarily have a majority of support, but it had a significant support. But it also had, as did the IRA in the early 20s. I don't want to draw too many comparisons. There are others, by the way. But uh, there's a long history, to put it mildly, of uh, of rejection of foreign influence, and particularly, I might add, the British influence in Afghanistan. 
And that was leveraged very successfully in the, in the narrative of the Taliban, which, of course, is essentially a Pashtun national insurgency. It's not an international jihad. These guys, 99.8% of them, have no interest in anything that goes on beyond the borders of their country or, in fact, their province. None. This is not a victory of al-Qaeda. It's not a victory of ISIS. In Afghanistan itself, the greatest enemies of ISIS, or more accurately, the Islamic State of Khorasan, are the Taliban, who defeated them roundly last year, with American help, by the way, and the year before. So it's not a, these are not international jihadists. And that, this is a national insurgency with the objective of uh, expelling foreigners and introducing a certain kind of rule that they consider to be appropriate for their own culture. And they ruled from 1996 till 2001, and they became infamous all over the world for their brutal oppressions and their public stonings and their hangings and the appalling treatment of women. Can we expect the same thing in 2021 as we saw in the mid-90s from the Taliban? I don't know. I doubt it. The messages that are coming out now are that the Taliban see their rule as rule by consent rather than rule by oppression. The country has changed, as I indicated earlier, in that it now has a fairly powerful and prosperous middle class, and it's very much in the interests of the real Taliban, the Asli Taliban, as they're called, and the, their allied groups, to maintain a high level of consent. And I think they recognize that. They've been quite astute about this. That won't apply in many of the rural provinces, I would suggest. But one, one has to stress that they understand that if things go wrong in the way they did 20 years ago, they will lose the support of the population. There's likely to be another insurgency against them. And we've seen the chaotic scenes in Kabul airport and we've seen the fear and the panic in, in, amongst the people of Afghanistan as it became clear that the Taliban were taking over again. Is there any sense that there could be a resistance movement building up against them? Or is it far too early to say? There are signs and explicit threats by many of the gangster warlords that used to constitute the government until last week, that they will resist to the end, uh, they will fight for honour of Afghanistan and all this nonsense, which, of course, the Taliban say as well. Um, this, this group has lost, uh, well, lost its legitimacy a long time ago, but they are threatening that. And I think that this depends on, on the previous question, you know, how... how to what extent can the Taliban organization maintain a critical mass of consent in a population that, particularly in the cities, but that's always been the case, has not been entirely, doesn't entirely see things the way they do. In the countryside, particularly in the southern countryside of the Pashtun, they have a significant element of, of support and one doubts there'll be insurgencies there. Just one point I'd like to make about the brutality of the regime and its potential continuance. Saudi Arabia operates very much the same policies for very much the same reason, except with nicer cars and bigger buildings. Yet we have very little to say about them, and particularly our liberal Western governments. So if we're going to preach at the Taliban, as we no doubt will, when things and if things go wrong, we might also consider addressing a similar message to our friends in Saudi Arabia. And of course, the one word that would distinguish Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan is probably oil. That would be correct, yes. I think so. 
Now, I'm sure you saw Joe Biden speaking to the American people this week. And in his address, he said that the sole aim of America's 20-year war in Afghanistan had been to protect the homeland. I've argued for many years that our mission should be narrowly focused on counterterrorism, not counterinsurgency or nation building. Do you think that's an accurate assessment of the, its decades-long intervention in Afghanistan? Or maybe is it an attempt to rewrite history as it happens in order to save face? It does what politicians always do. They focus on the positive, ignoring the rest. The overall objective of the campaign, of course, was to eliminate terrorism and defend the homeland and whatnot. And that was achieved, of course, by the end of 2001, when the Taliban was completely annihilated, was no longer functional, not, not only as a military force, but as a political force. And what kicked it off again were interventions in their heartland by the likes of the British and, various, and the various allies, Canadians, Americans, and so forth. That's what started the Taliban's powering up until yesterday uh, as a resistance movement. They were nowhere before that. We've got, we hold a great deal of responsibility for this in the conduct of the war over the last 15 years. And there should be an accounting for that, an honest accounting. My feeling is that there will be no more account, no such accounting. We're not going to get inquiries that look at the, look at the catastrophic errors, which are, were, were stupid, not even just in hindsight, but at the time. I suppose finally, one of the big questions is what happens next? What will the nature of the relationship between Afghanistan under the Taliban and the rest of the world look like? Will real politic prevail here and will Western governments ultimately deal with the new rulers of Afghanistan? And will the Taliban itself open itself up to other countries, do you think? I think Afghanistan has been an exception to the rule that re realism, which you described there, national interest, uh, take absolute priority. It's been a mission creep there for, for decades of us steamroller those uh, issues. I think now there might be a major rethink uh, along the lines that the West at some point has to recognize its huge failure in this matter, and there are certain realities to attend to. This is now in the hands of Iran, Pakistan, and China, as I said at the outset. We are irrelevant there now, and so are the United States. We'll never be relevant there again, and we have to accept that and deal with that reality. Dr. Frank Ledridge, thank you very much for talking to us. My pleasure. Coming up, a woman living in Dublin is frantically trying to get her family out of Kabul and is terrified about what might happen if they're trapped. Sharifa Wazi is a healthcare worker who came to Ireland after the US invasion of her home country almost 20 years ago. Sharifa, you grew up under the Taliban in the 1990s. What was that like? It was a very hard experience, giving you a feeling that you're stuck, you know, you're locked in a situation that you can't do anything. People, especially women, uh, girls, they're full of hopes, they're full of ambitions, they're full of skills, uh, and they want to go forward, they want to study, they want to create something new, they want to enjoy life. This is something that you shouldn't hope when Taliban's are around, because you have to follow loads of rules, lo loads of restrictions. Like, my, my children didn't see play school because of them. 
they were at home always until I came here. They never saw school or anything. One was seven, one was six. Imagine people who's living there. For kids, it's hard. For women, you're always under stress. You're under attack. You're under threaten. You know, you're going to town. You're going to someone's house. You're going to just you for a walk. You, you can't dream to go for a walk. Shaky and shocking video purports to show Taliban fighters celebrating victory after taking a town in Farah province in the west. The sun rising on what would become a historic day in Afghanistan. First, the Taliban entered Kunduz, one of the country's biggest cities and a gateway to the north. In a video released from the Taliban in an unidentified location, Deputy Leader Mullah Baradar Akhand made their address. We congratulate the great victory to the whole Afghan nation, especially to the people of Kabul and to our Mujahideens. The way we have come through was unexpected. How has that been for you to watch the Taliban regain control? Personally, me, I went through an episode of uh, an anxiety attack since the first day, and I'm still at it. I am often shaking. If you ever had that feeling of your stomach is empty, you know, I have that feeling. Every moment I'm speaking to my family, I get another episode of that and uh, I need to go to the toilet. I need to get sick. I keep going through that. This Mm. is how I am. And uh, two nights ago, my son came here uh, at nine o'clock from work. He sat and he cried for one hour. He didn't lift his head up. I was petting him, I was rubbing him, I was kind of hugging him to just calm him down. He had no no noise, like he was crying inside his heart. And he's 18, he's born here. He shouldn't uh, understand that much, but he does. He was crying for my family, but he was crying for the country. And you have family still in Kabul, is that right? I have all my family there, yeah. We're just one of me and one other is out. The rest is still there. My sister after me was a teacher working for the government. After that, it's my brother. He's in architecture, working for the government and building schools, building like uh, rebuilding other schools in, in the countrysides. My my second brother, he's in architecture as well, working for the Ministry of Education. And have you been speaking to them in recent days? I am, yeah. yeah I, I keep contacting them. They are contacting me uh, the first day, five o'clock in the morning. They called me half of the night. They called me if there's any way we, you can get us out. All I can do is saying I'm trying, you know, I'm trying. And I am trying. I'm trying so hard. But... Irish system is a very hard, very difficult system to to get into it. And because your family are working for government agencies, does that mean they're more at risk or are they more afraid because of that? They That's why they are afraid. If they were not working with the governments, if they had a shop like or they had a, their own business or something else, they were not afraid that much. They, they did start searching houses, house by house, Already. They're saying, what will we say if you're not working for the government? Show me a document, show me a receipt that you had a shop, show me a receipt you had a garage or anything, you know. 
we have nothing to show them. All we have is our IDs working for the wherever organization we are working. They're scared of their life. Yeah, they, they are afraid they be, they be not there tomorrow. They're lost. When you say peaceful transfer of power, what do you mean? What is actually likely to happen? It means that uh, the city and the power should be uh, handed over uh, to the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. And then in future, we will have an Afghan inclusive go Islamic government in which all Afghans will have participation. When you say participation... Do you, do you or your family have any reason at all to believe that the Taliban of today will be any different or any less brutal or any less oppressive than the Taliban who were in charge when you were a child? I don't believe that. Personally, I don't believe it. My family don't believe it. But time will show that. Unfortunately, that will be a very bad scene. So I'm left again to ask of those who argue that we should stay. How many more generations of America's daughters and sons would you have me send to fight Afghanistan's civil war? When Afghan troops will not. And do the people of Afghanistan feel betrayed? Do they feel betrayed by Western countries, countries like the US and the UK in particular? They are betrayed by everyone. Who should I name first? Why did they came at the start? Like, why did, did they start this? And why did they left us like this? We've been through a lot, a lot, but not as bad as this. I will not repeat the mistakes we've made in the past. Mistake of staying and fighting indefinitely in a conflict that is not in the national interest of the United States. Do you have any hope that the terrible events that we've seen in recent days could be reversed or that anything that can be done to help the millions of people who are now living in fear of the new regime? The only thing is the, to, to put the pressure on the on Talibans that they don't don't get involved in those things to, to search who was doing what and who was doing what and take people's jobs. Like if you were working for the government and now you're hiding somewhere and they don't know who you are, if you don't go back to work, what will you do? If they find out who you are, you're in danger. I already heard from uh, one of the family members that in one of the countryside's Helmand, they went door to door asking who who was doing what and they gave the people who was working with the government, like my family, or they were soldiers or ar army people, they gave them a forgiveness card. But those forgiveness card, those people got lost. They are killed already. Or they are in jail. Hopefully they are in jail, but they are not. Taliban, they may change for a few days until uh, American troops are out. But after that, you know what I'm afraid? They will cut the internet, all social media, and then they will deal with people the way they want it. This is my fear. Sharifa, thanks very much for talking to us and I hope your family stay safe. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.